Hey, I'm Asher. And I'm Jackson. And what you're about to listen to is strictly confidential. Hey, Asher, how's your week been? It's been a pretty good week, actually. Very productive at work. Uh, Had a great weekend with friends. Nothing really to report, but I'm doing well. That's sweet. Well, today we had a really important week because yesterday it was Louise, our pup's birthday. Oh. She turned three, and she has no idea she turned three. No, no, I guess not. No. Um, and I was thinking about it. We actually ran out of food for her yesterday. Well, there she oh, is. Oh, hey. And we, she's furious about the, the no more dog food thing. We ran out of food for her yesterday and had to go get her more food. And I realized a couple things. One... It would have been awful for, on her birthday, not to feed her dinner. Yeah. But two, she had no idea it was her birthday. Yeah, I mean, just as awful as it ever is for her. I mean, and you guys aren't, I know this, that you might put up a Instagram post about Lou, but you aren't the kind of people who would throw a party for their dog. So we didn't, we threw a party yesterday for Easter, and pretended for Lou that it was for her. I gotcha. Um, and I think a big part of it was for her because we do love this dog. But it's funny to me how there are a couple things she understands. There are very few things she fully gets. Like, yeah. We were in the store buying the food for her. And I cannot stop thinking about the fact that she has no idea how like the money system in which we use to get her food happens. Like... We like I make money and then I go to the store and spend money to buy her a bag of food that we then bring home and put in the same spot her old bag of food was. Yeah, but I mean, like, at least she appreciates it or you assume she does. I assume she appreciates it. But then if there are days when I have forgotten to get new food for her and I like only give her a little bit, she just thinks I'm being stingy. She has no I mean, there's no way she has memory of two or three weeks ago when I came in the house with a big bag of food. I mean, do you ever feel that you are not being appreciated enough? Does it bother you to think that they don't fully understand the amount of work and responsibility that it requires to keep that thing alive? Are you asking me if I thought it would be nice if my dog paid rent? I think so. Yeah, because I've, I've been thinking about that. And yes, I, I do think it would be nice. She does not contribute to this household in any way. She's like an in-house therapist that I don't... that. Well, I guess an in-house therapist I would pay. Well, I don't want that either. (laughs) (laughs) When they put it like that, it's pretty cheap. I mean, you have a better situation than I do, though, as a cat owner. Because I have the philosophical turmoil of not knowing if what I'm even doing is truly ethical. I mean, is this animal my pet or my hostage? With dogs, you have the, the pack mentality, right? And you can kind of just assume that They're in their element when they're with their pack, their family. They want to please you as the alpha dog, as the master. Uh, Cats don't operate that way. And being more, um, uh, we'll say, individualistic, cats don't necessarily need me to be happy and healthy. So every time that I let her outside, I keep a close eye on her because I don't know if she's ever coming back. And then that is a burden on my soul, not knowing if she even wants to really be here. Yeah, I, 
I grew up in a household with cats. And so like Louise is my first dog ever. But earlier today, when I was looking up research for this episode, she came up next to me and hopped up and sat in my lap. And I know she came up to do that specifically. Whereas whenever I've had a cat do that, it's just a convenience for them thing. It's just yeah. a, oh, hey, you're in this room and your legs look softer than the floor. Right. And they're radiating an amount of heat. Let me sit on your legs for a moment. I couldn't care what person you are. I just know that you are one. But I also know that like Louise knows that as a dog. Okay. Yep. This is the one opportunity for her to make a lot of noise and not get cut out of the episode. It would be crazy to me to figure out exactly where her knowledge stops and where ours begins. Yeah. Because I know for sure that the mailman, let's give him a name, let's call him Jeff. Mailman Jeff has a job and that pays him money so he can go home and feed either just him or a family or perhaps even another dog. Although that might be a little a little sick, a mailman having a dog. Um, But nonetheless... He goes home and uses the money he makes from bringing my household my spam mail to feed his dog. And Louise has no idea any of that. Right. She just knows him as a terrorist. (laughs) Yeah. Who she must protect the household from, which I appreciate. But it's, it's amazing to me the like spectrum of stuff that she knows compared to the insane amount of stuff that she would never be able to learn. All in all, though, with Louise, in the end, I know that she's only working at the mailman because she's scared that that mailman can hurt us or something. She's scared of it, of the mailman getting so close to our house. Right. But today's topic has to do with fear as well. Hmm. Uh, because today we're talking about the Star Wars <laughs> interesting kind of like, I don't know how to phrase this, but Star Wars interesting fun fact about blue harvest. Oh yes. Okay. And the reason the reason fear connects with that will make a little bit more sense in a minute. But if most people know what blue harvest is now, for the most part, those people know it as the hour-long season six Family Guy premiere that parodied yeah, Star Wars, uh, which is actually good to be honest. Um, I grew up in a friend group that loved Star Wars. And so we would watch the Family Guy ones and the Robot Chicken ones and really loved them. And honestly, it's the only Family Guy episode I've ever chosen to watch voluntarily. But that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about where the name comes from. Okay. I mean, this would normally be something that we would try to avoid doing episodes about some kind of pop culture, some sort of intellectual property. But I feel like Star Wars is always the exception because it's so ubiquitous. I think, I mean, the, I feel left out of my office for not watching Game of Thrones. And I feel like if I was listening to a podcast and suddenly it was about the topic of Game of Thrones, that's, I'm tuning out. But I don't think Game of Thrones even comes close, even now, at the, the peak of its popularity, to the far reaches of Star Wars. And I think it's also important to recognize that with, with Blue Harvest... What we're talking about today isn't even really about the Star Wars content because Blue, yeah. Har- Blue Harvest is entirely about the production of the film, which is history the same way um, Alexander Hamilton writing a bunch of stuff for America is history. 
That's true. So you um, you just got to have a basic understanding of how movies are produced to appreciate this. And I think it's also valuable to recognize that Star Wars is so ubiquitous and Star Wars is so well known that even if like my cousin Ricky has no idea what, like has never watched a Star Wars movie, he knows it's about space and it's a successful franchise. And those are the two really big things you need to know. That's pretty much all there is to it. Yeah. To get back to why it relates to the fear question I was posing earlier with my dog, Blue Harvest was originally the name of a fake horror movie that the team behind Star Wars Return of the Jedi, the third original film, used to make sure fans and journalists wouldn't come onto set during the 1981-83 production of the film. And last week, we, we were talking about this completely unrelated to the show, but last week you were saying that you thought it was for A New Hope? Yeah, I thought it was the very beginning. They uh, couldn't get the funding for a sci-fi movie because they historically did not do well. I mean, before Star Wars, sci-fi was not blockbuster material. It was very uh, cult niche nerd stuff. Still is, but I mean, like, looking at the Marvel franchise, Star Wars and Star Trek, like, the, the, the big, the billion dollar movies are mostly have some kind of sci-fi element to them. But, yeah, and, um, and that didn't take a long time to happen, too. Like, widely regarded as the best horror film of all time, uh, Alien came out the year after uh, New Hope. Did it really? Yeah. Man, you can see the uh, the, the different. I mean, you, it's also pretty commonly known, but I don't want to assume in case someone doesn't actually care about this franchise, but the original Star Wars was made on practically no budget at all. Right. And Alien, I, I mean, the Star Wars still holds up because of the amount of love that was put into it, but the, the, uh, there's no comparison in terms of the production value between Alien and Star Wars. Now we're just talking about Star Wars, though, and that's kind of what we wanted to avoid. I was about to say that, yeah. Let's get back to Blue Harvest. The name Blue Harvest was a kind of reference to a 1929 film uh, called Red Harvest, which was later turned into Akira Kurosawa's film Yojimbo, which was something George Lucas loved. And then it was actually later adapted into one of my favorite movies, A Fistful of Dollars, which... I oh, no, cool. I had no idea the first two facts of that, and so maybe I'm going to watch a 1929 film this week. But uh, yeah, it became A Fistful of Dollars, which is from the The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly series. Yeah, definitely. That's awesome. So wait, but that was... Okay, Red Harvest becomes Yojimbo, which becomes Fistful of Dollars. When did it lose the, the horror movie element? Because Fistful of Dollars is not particularly scary. I don't think that the actual... I don't think the Red Harvest was a horror movie. Okay. Um, they pitched it as a horror movie because that would allow them to make it, that would allow them to excuse a lot of what they had for the set for the third movie and for the for the cast, crew, and props for the third movie. I gotcha. But otherwise, yeah. So the Mirage was extremely thoroughly carried out with the entire team on board with stuff like the fake film's logo on a bunch of film property production items, including like, T-shirts, baseball caps, buttons, signs, invoices, and stationery. And before you ask, yes, I've already tried to find shirts and hats I could buy. And they are not nearly as cool as I thought they would be. Yeah, I'm looking them up right now. Was the slogan uh, horror beyond imagination? 
I was going to get to that, actually. Yeah, the slogan was horror beyond imagination. And during a period when they were struggling to film the Sarlacc pit scenes due to a sandstorm, they actually came up with a full plot for the film. And they had a plan for with Lucas to actually create the film. <laughs> I mean, all the pieces are right there. And they, they describe a little bit of what the film was. And they were planning on using actors and uh, props and stuff from uh, Return of the Jedi. But yeah, they uh, so they use this a lot, mostly to keep people off the set. But one of the ways people would pick up on what they were actually doing is, and this part seems a little lazy to me by the Star Wars team, but the film, the logo for the fake film uses the Star Wars typeface. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it's pretty close. Like if I saw that not knowing anything about Blue Harvest or anything, I would think, hey, they stole the Star Wars typeface. Yeah, I mean, in 2019, this would be, if you wanted to recreate this logo, you would definitely go to DaFont or Font Squirrel and type in Star Wars font, and you would pretty much get this. Uh, yeah, it's even got the same R and the same, like, the, the leading lines. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty bad. But, I mean, I understand it because they weren't actually making the film, so they, all they needed was a logo. Yeah, I mean, these were just going to be stickers that were slapped over the Star Wars logo. But, yeah. So they didn't exactly spend a ton of time on it. I mean, I feel like when you're, if you're a rabid fan, rabid fan, and you, a raving rabid's fan, and you're trying to follow around the production team, even if you're the, you're being told that it's a horror movie and it's not related, I feel like once you see a lightsaber come out, you piece it together pretty quick. Asher, it's important to me that I ask this question, and I think it's also probably important to our audience. When they were filming lightsabers, do you think they actually shot light out of them? <laughs> okay, all right, all right. So, look, we're going to assume that they were using something that looks similar. I understand that they don't actually glow and make the cool noises. Okay, when they see Mark Hamill, there we go. That's a better, yeah, that's better. When they better. see Luke Skywalker, they'll figure it out. And no, I, com I completely get exactly what you were saying there. I just wanted to bully you a little bit about it. But yeah, specifically, there were certain scenes that took place in the countryside of Arizona. And a lot of this is where people remember seeing the uh, images for Blue Harvest. The area typically had a bunch of dune buggy riders. So they put up a huge fence with a bunch of signs for their fake horror movie. And it convinced most, but apparently there were about 60 fans who refused to leave until they got signatures and photos. So people like people saw through the whole mirage, but it, for the most part, worked really well. I mean, I guess, but like, what's going on in Arizona, where you come up to a fenced-off area and it says like we're filming a horror movie in here, and you're like, boring. I, I mean, I see, I see filming for Blue Harvest, and I want to check that out. Yeah, I mean that's fair. Uh, I mean, remember it's Arizona, early, early, early '80s, so they didn't have like. Pokemon yet? What were they gonna do? I don't know, but I, mean, I guess though with it's still you have the curiosity of being able to witness what a, a, um, a Hollywood production looks like. Still doesn't really compare to the the fervor of a Star Wars fan I, who I feel like are totally willing to commit felonies to get on set. Like I think if I think if you had Star Wars Episode Six on the fence. A lot of people will be climbing that fence. I don't think you could keep them out. 
I think there's a huge just appeal to the what's behind the curtain with Hollywood movies like that. Where if I see a Hollywood movie or see anything being filmed on the street, I'm going to be curious as to what it is. If I see a large set, for example, I'm going to be curious as to what that set is. Which is another big reason for the whole ruse was that it was financial. Um, after the success of Empire Strikes Back, Lucas believed he had been persecuted by Hollywood and cut all the ties he had there, making Lucasfilm an entirely independent production company. Oh, that's right. And so that meant that paying for everything else became a little bit more expensive because he didn't get benefits of being a part of it. So like locations, actors, costumes and crew and everything else. And since the original three movies were completely independently produced, that meant they weren't funded by a studio, but were instead funded by Lucas's bank account himself. Crazy to think of Star Wars as an indie film. Yeah, at that point, I mean, it was the biggest indie films then, I bet, of all time. But I don't want to make that claim without doing the research. I, just, I don't know what could have topped it. Uh, but at that point, they wanted to keep the location secret because they couldn't afford to have somebody come by and steal something. Oh, okay, yeah. And so all of the all of the props and everything were a little bit more valuable because he was paying for it himself and at that point had no connections to Hollywood. So this was a legitimate like security thing. It wasn't just being cute and like trying to give the actors privacy. They were legitimately worried about the security of their sets. And I think also a horror movie works along those lines as well because I love horror movies. You know this better than almost anybody. I My favorite kinds of movies to go see in theaters are horror movies. But I think if I saw a horror movie being filmed, I would have much less interest in sneaking onto that set than almost any other kind of movie. Just because of the idea of that fear and those creatures and whatever it is being around sounds terrifying. In like, oh, oh, really? Like, see, like you would, you would be wanting to stay away because it'd be too scary? Yeah, and I also, like, with a horror movie, I appreciate not knowing how any of it was done. Yeah, I, that, that's what I was thinking you were going for, is that you didn't want to see behind the curtain, because that's the whole thing for a horror movie. And once you see the behind the scenes, and you see how the, the monster was created, it really takes a lot of bite out of it. And I think a lot of people probably imagine it like that, where they think, yeah, I love scary movies. I don't want to know how they're made. But yeah, they so the whole idea here was to hide all of this from people so that for for yeah, for a couple of reasons. So nobody snuck on set. But the big reason that I don't think Star Wars the Star Wars team would have talked about as much was the financial one. And the reason a lot of this stuff feels so so shorthanded or so limited in terms of our knowledge of it is because Blue Harvest is such a good name and such a good reference that there have been a bunch of different things after it named Blue Harvest. So like, if you want to learn more about this whole topic, it's tricky because all the official websites you would tip, that we typically go to for information on this show specifically, talk about the Family Guy episode when you search Blue Harvest. Or there's also, oh, right. there's also a successful ep podcast that's almost 150 episodes called Blue Harvest. There was a famous Blue Harvest fanzine about Star Wars. And in the show Star Wars Ewoks, there's an episode called Blue Harvest. So yeah, it's a good name. It's a good name. But like if I go to Wikipedia and search Blue Harvest, they don't they reference the name of the the fake name for this movie once on the whole article. And there's what I had to do to find all of this was actually search Blue Harvest Horror Beyond Imagination because they actually were pitching that as the full title for the film. The Blue SEO is ruined for Blue Harvest. 
Yeah. And so if you want to, if you want to do more research into that, that's, that's how I did it, but that's, it made the whole thing a little bit trickier to find good stuff on. Yeah. Well, what was the financial benefit again of doing the name? Maybe I'm not understanding or I missed it. The financial benefit was less about the, um, so they didn't get more money for doing it. They didn't get anything like that, but it was making sure that nobody would steal Star Wars stuff. Oh, right. Okay. So financially, you mean like the security. Basically, it was like renter's insurance, but that's how I'm going to understand it. <laughs> as, not, as a person who doesn't have much valuable property or a home, that's how I'm going to understand what we're talking about is the idea of renter's insurance. Yeah, let me, let me explain it in kind of layman's terms so it makes a little bit more sense. Basically, they had all of this Star Wars stuff that they made specifically for this film and that cost money to make and produce and get all together. And calling it Star Wars Return of the Jedi on signs would mean that people would know, okay, I could sell this Star Wars stuff for a lot of money. Even if, I, even if, even if they weren't Star Wars fans, they could sneak on a set steal a Darth Vader mask and sell it for a ton of money, especially yeah. before the movie came out. I don't think you even have to know what the black market is. I think the black market would come to you at that point. You have an official movie prop of the Darth Vader helmet. I, I dare you not to find a, a buyer for that. And it's a movie prop of the Darth Vader helmet that you could sell before the movie comes out. Yeah. And so I think that was the big thing is that I, if I'm George Lucas... I want people to think this is a movie they've never heard of that does not have a fan base yet. And so that's why Blue Harvest exists. Uh, but before, before we get out of all of the Star Wars stuff, do you want to hear an amazing quote on this forum that I found? Of course. So it gave me a, the, this forum gave me a little bit of information on this because a lot, of, a lot of how you learn about Blue Harvest is just people talking about it and passing it around on like Reddit threads and conversations like that. But this guy from 2005 says, who clearly does not understand history and how any of history works. He says, to hide the film from Star Wars fans, they called it Blue Harvest. But every Star Wars fan knows this. Seems to me that wouldn't work too well. <laughs> I love how little this guy understands about the passing of time and knowledge. <laughs> Well, he's a Star Wars fan. Like, the chronology of that series is already completely messed up. I know about it now, so how could Star Wars fans back then not know about it? Do more movies still do this? It seems smart and also a very cheap solution for security concerns. Like, for Marvel movies, which are now billion-dollar you know, films, do they do the same thing? Do they, do they if they're shooting... Anywhere outside of Hollywood, do they pretend it's a different film? I think, so this is entirely speculation, so I'm going to say I think at the beginning of this, but I think that there's a very good chance that they don't have to, because since, I mean, Marvel movies, as an example specifically, are owned by Disney, which is without a doubt the biggest film production company in the world. Um, and so they have the budget to, if something gets stolen off the set, they have the budget to replace it. But I think they also probably have the budget to have on hand an extremely detailed security team. Okay, that's a good point. Because I think with the budget of Return of the Jedi, they wanted it to feel bigger and better than the other two Star Wars movies, but they also wanted to make sure that it wasn't crazy expensive. So I imagine security was something they weren't as picky on, and so stickers kind of solved that problem for them. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. See, the thing is, this is kind of a unique situation 
where I don't think there would be the same kind of independently produced trilogies that are that would have this kind of following produced nowadays. Right. The situation may never exist again. Yeah. And so I think the idea that stickers solve this problem seems to me like stickers only solve this specific problem. But I love it. I love the simplicity of that solution. And I wish I could find more information on it, but I I really, because this whole topic is so interesting to me. The idea that to film one of the biggest movies of all time, like one of the most popular, successful, famous movies of all time, they hid it behind the mask of a horror movie with a good name. I, I love it. And I'm proud of us for keeping it pretty orbital and not getting too lost in the details of the top 10 favorite Jar Jar moments and turning <sighs> into a Star Wars podcast. How intentional was that play on words with the word orbital just now? It was a little bit, it was a little bit uh, preconceived. Okay, okay. I put a little thought into it. Well, I, I think it was a good one. Thanks. If you want me to cut it out of the episode, just say the code word. <laughs> nope, that stays. Great. Well, we may not be able to make it into orbit, but we are a little bit closer to outer space because we're at the top of a mountain. Pretty soon, oh, no. though, we'll be at the bottom of that mountain. And we will have done cool tricks and flips. We would have shredded the pow-pow and won the gold medal. You know how sports works. We need to hit the Snopes. All right, I have a claim. From Snopes.com. A claim. A claim. A claim. There is a type of, quote-unquote, living brooch made and sold in Mexico consisting of a live beetle that is coated in gold and gemstones. Huh. Yeah. Uh, it's, so, it's definitely right. I mean... Uh, it, so, so let me speculate on this a little bit before I get any more details. Okay. So what you're saying is... A brooch, the kind of thing that my, like, great aunt would put on a sweater, right? Yeah, there's a little bit of a uh, a stigma around brooches being for the elderly. I think it's but just yes. the word, because the word brooch is not a good word. No. Um, uh, but, so, it's a brooch, the thing that my great aunt would have on her, on her jacket. Yes. This time, instead of it being a bedazzled fake beetle, it is right. a bedazzled real living beetle that is pinned to her jacket. Correct. So imagine a brooch, and now it's a bug. We're sorry you had to imagine that brooch. Okay, so for some people, I guess that's immediately gross. I think beetles are cool as hell. And I don't like most insects, but for me, beetles are like a totally different category. I just think they're rad. They don't gross me out in the slightest. Huh. I, Maybe that's weird. I don't know if I'm alone in that. I don't know. I, I've always thought bugs are interesting. Um, and so I'm kind of along that same line where I think beetles are specifically a little bit cooler and have a little bit more mystery to them than other bugs. But I, I was less apologizing for making them imagine a brooch that was a living beetle and more apologizing for making them imagine a brooch. So let's get into the origin. A three minute Facebook video attracts millions and a boatload of controversy in June 2018 with an astonishing claim that there exists a type of jewelry made in one in Mexico that consists of live beetles bedecked with gold and semi-precious gemstones. 
Mm. The fact that this is a video gives the claim a lot of uh, weight because you can see the video evidence and that these are in fact real with a type of beetle called stalling, trying to find the name. Kevin. Kevin. Albert. Where the heck did the name go? McKetch. There we go. McKetch beetles. Um, so yeah, this is kind of what you're imagining. You might be thinking that there must be some sort of, uh, tr- not trick, but there must be something that you're not understanding. But what you're picturing right now is what it is. It is a living beetle that has been bedazzled by semi-precious gin- gemstones and has a tiny gold chain that is on the abdomen of the bug that hangs down off of the beetle and basically forms a gold leash for this living beetle. And these are real, and we know that they have existed for at least a hundred years because we have documentation dating back to 1887 about the exact same thing we're seeing and talking about today. So, sorry, I may have misunderstood this. How are they connected to what you're wearing? Well, they're really not, and they have a gold chain that is attached to the the top of them on their abdomen area. Didn't look up the anatomy of beetles before this episode. Cool, cool. But, and the the little gold chain hangs down off, and it looks like a leash. But that leash isn't actually attached to anything. I would think that the leash would be, like, pinned onto your shirt so that they can only go so far. Uh, Maybe that's how it's done. But no one's like no one puts like a needle or a pin through the beetle. Uh, you want to this thing being uh, decked out with semi-precious gems. You want it to stay alive as long as possible. So I don't know how much you're concerned with the ethics of how bugs are treated. This is probably unethical if you are interested in the rights of beetles. But it's not so bad that they're torturing the beetles. They're not, they're not doing anything that would cause it pain, uh, at least insofar as an insect can feel pain. But there's nothing actually attaching them to their shirt. They're just allowed to wander free. Like, the little leash is, I guess, just so you can grab them more easily, but it's not pinned down. They're allowed uh. to pretty much free roam around your body. I think they use these beetles because they're just particularly chill beetles. They, and- when, you, when you put them on your shirt, they have the kind of feet that allow them to cling on, no problem. And they mostly just hang out right there. And these are real. Like, these are actual stuff. This is actual stuff. Actual stuff. Like, this is actual stuff would be a much better title for the uh, for the approved stuff on Snopes. Yeah, exactly. That's the new segment. This is actual stuff. This is actual stuff. Hey, uh, could you ring up a new... Uh, a new uh intro track because our segment's retitled now yeah connor you gotta redo the snopes we haven't got a new title for you uh most people say no they would never wear such a thing ever and That's call me, it yeah. gross gre- creepy cruel and inhumane i don't know if i'm i don't know if i'm there uh i would absolutely wear this i guess i'm in the minority but i think this is one of the coolest things i've seen in a while i'm more I would not wear it, not because of any of those reasons. I would wear it more just because I don't like the idea of brooches. <laughs> well, that's just where people normally stick it. I didn't it's, realize it is a. Go ahead. I didn't realize this episode was going to be a way for me to come out and say that I hate brooches, but I guess I mean it was going to happen eventually. Look, you got to pick a side, man. 
You gotta pick a side in the brooch wars, and personally, I'm against them. There's no room for gray area. Uh, but look, man, they're just living bugs. Like, you can stick them on your hand, you can have them walk up and down your sleeve. Does the the lo- fact that they're brooches has a tradition. I can't say it's historically rooted because it comes from a myth from Mayan culture about a, uh, a girl, maybe a princess, who doesn't get to marry her lover, but a magician turns her into a beetle so that she can live as a brooch on her lover's chest for the rest of her life. Hmm. Uh, so that's debated if that's actually the origin of this trend, but that's the story and why it's specifically a brooch. Hmm. These yeah, beetles that's... live up to four years, by the way, if you take good care of them. And that's cool in and of itself. I didn't, I don't have a lot of knowledge about the lifespan of most bugs, but I feel like that's a pretty sturdy beetle. Yeah, that sounds good. I, yeah, I, I like the idea of a beetle replacing something like, okay, hear me out. Beetle bolo tie. Yeah, you can Comple- do that. Completely on board with that. I would 100% wear a beetle bolo tie. Beetle brooch, I'm not going to wear. I mean, this is just a way that we can experience the extravagance of an 1800s tycoon. You know, I don't get to have a pet snake that's draped around my neck or... Or an office uh, an office that is gigantic with a tiny desk in the middle. <laughs> I don't get to have a pet Bengal tiger as a symbol of the opulence and ex- excessive wealth. But I don't know, any sort of like living jewelry, any sort of animal that you keep with you is, is a status symbol in the most cartoony way I can imagine. Yeah, it, immedi- it immediately makes me think of Giovanni from Pokemon, which is a, a reference I realize you and probably nobody else on the show would... I know I exactly mean, who you're talking about, and you're correct. The, the, big, the big villain who has the giant... Uh, oh man, what's the name of that Pokemon? Well, Persian? I, Persian, Yeah. Has the big Persian next to him. Acting like I don't know anything about Pokemon. Well, I'm sorry. You knew more than I did in that situation. That's a good Snopes, though. Yeah, thanks, man. We can end this Snopes on a somewhat poetic note from the 1887 newspaper article that was attributed in the the New Haven Register and the first written account we have of these bugs. The article finishes with, The bug does not seem to be timid, but crawls tranquilly, oblivious to the admiration that he creates. Isn't that nice? Yeah. Well, that's all I got. Oh, that's awesome. That's all I have about Beatles, and that's all I have for this episode. So I'll tell you about the theme song that we started off with. That was Threadbare by Glenmerle, off the album Burden of Proof. He has music on Spotify and iTunes and GlenmerleMusic.com. Go check it out. And thanks to Connor Voigt for the Hit the Snopes theme song you just heard a few minutes ago. And yeah, the the Glenmerl, our friend Thomas does all of the music for Glenmerl, and he just released a new EP a couple weeks ago. And uh, it, we can give it the strictly confidential guarantee that it slaps. This is an audio format, so you can't see the sticker. But Jackson, can you put a sticker effect in there? Nice. And yeah, if you want to follow us on our social media, we've got an Instagram, it's Strictly Confidential Show, where we can tell you what episode is coming out next, what episode is coming out now, different things about the show, anything like that. Our Twitter is S Confident Show. And then if you want to email us about anything, email us at strictlyconfidentialshow at gmail.com. We'd love to hear anything you want to hear. Send us jokes, send us 
references, send us more facts about any topic we've ever done that we would love to share with the audience or new topics that you want us to do. That's, I mean, that's why we created the email address. Send us photos of your beetle collection. I have a feeling that our listener base it has a higher concentration of beetle collectors than most. Take that as you will. <laughs> and then before we close, I realized I wanted to clarify one quick thing about a previous episode. My mom texted me yesterday morning at 7 a.m. and said, Dad went to Rice for three years and got a master's degree. I had no idea what that meant out of context. <laughs> but in the episode where we talk about vending machines, I talk about how my dad was at Rice for a year and moved a statue. And it turns out he was there for three years. And I knew that and just completely <laughs> forgot it. So I wanted to clarify that. I'm sorry, Mom. <laughs> this is me telling you about that. I love you. Thank you for listening to my show. Texting you at the ungodly hour of 7 a.m. when no one is awake. Uh, which means that the whole family must have been awake listening to my show at 7 a.m. yesterday morning for some reason. But yeah, that was, that was an added note I wanted to add. But yeah, as we close, this has been Strictly Confidential. I've been Jackson. And I've been Asher. And as always... And look at this couch! Somebody threw out a whole couch, and it's in great shape. Yeah, you put a little Febreze on that, scrub it out a little bit, it'll look great. In your I love The Simpsons. <laughs>